0: So put our Bibles to Daniel 12, as we will finish up the book of Daniel. We're finishing up the book of Revelation in a couple weeks, and then we're going to go right back and continue on into the book of Hosea, as we make our way through the minor prophets. I've entitled this this morning, Those Who Are Wise. And our text where Paul read for us is chapter 12, verses 5 through 13. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on that river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the fulfillment of these wonders be? And then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand, And his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And when the power of the holy people have been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. And although I heard, I did not understand. And I said, my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed. Till the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined. But the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1290 days. And blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335 days. But you go your way till the end, for you shall rest, and you will rise to your inheritance at the end of the days. What we've been studying um, in this section, uh, chapter 12 now concludes the vision which began back in chapter 10. This is all one vision. 10, 11, and 12 are all Together. Um, flip back to Daniel 10, and look, uh, I'll be drawing your attention to verse uh, 14. As he's receiving this message, we'll talk about Michael in just a little bit, and this, remember, to jog your memory just a little bit, the spiritual warfare that went on uh, to get this message. So in verse 14... It is Michael who says, Now I've come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days. For the, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. Um, it could be Michael. It could be Michael still duking it out with the prince of the kingdom of Persia. Um, there are three important things that we need to note about this verse in, in uh, chapter 10, verse 14. The people means that it concerns the nation of Israel after the church is removed from the earth. Number two, it tells us it refers to the latter days, so this is not to be fulfilled in Daniel's time. The latter days of the Old Testament are identified with the last days of the New Testament, which the Lord Jesus calls uh, the Great Tribulation, a time that never was a time that will never, ever be again. And unless he directly intervenes in human history, no flesh is going to be saved. So that would be the great tribulation. The third thing that verse 14 points out is that the vision is for many days. That is, there will be a long time before you come to the latter days. It's been a long time since Daniel. It's been at least 2,500 years. So go back 2,500 years. And this is when this vision of such great importance that it brings us to verse 1 of chapter 12 where we're talking about Michael again. And let's just read verse 1. Michael at that time. Now it's referring to the time of the end shall stand up that great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there will be a time of trouble such as never since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Well, here we are introduced to Michael again. Well, he was, if you remember, back in chapter 10, Satan was so determined that the information that we are reading this morning, that there were spiritual wars going on in heaven. Again, if you just flip back to chapter 10, uh, Daniel had been praying for three whole weeks. Now, Daniel's used to praying and getting his prayers answered. He didn't eat. Um, He fasted. And finally, the angel shows up, but not without giving explanation when it, what took so long. He said in, in um, verse 13, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me for 21 days. This tells us that there is an order of authority in the angelic realm. And Michael is the only one directly referred to as an archangel. I believe Gabriel is too. And um, there's only three angels that are actually named. Lucifer would be the third. But we know that there's hundreds of, it says in Revelation, 10,000 times 10,000 times ten thousands of angels that will worship the Lord. And so we know that there's millions of angels. But my point in chapter one is evidently Michael, primary responsibility, is looking out and over for um, the people of Israel, and they're going to be delivered, but only after they go through a very, very difficult period of time. That's called the tribulation. And on the second half of the tribulation, we're told that Satan comes down, knowing that he has but a short time. And what's interesting is it tells us the time that he has. It tells us that he has a time, a time's, And half a times. And here we have the only other place in the Bible. Where this is referred to. Only in the book of Daniel. And only in the book of Revelation. Do we have this verbiage. And we've gone through it. Over and over again. And I know I'm. (laughs) You know what I'm going to say next. It can be time times. Or half a times. Or 42 months. Or 1260 days. Or three and a half years. But here it's times. Times and half a times. It's the time when the Lord takes all hands off and he allows the devil to have his way. And he goes after Israel. But remember Revelation 12, they're supernaturally protected. And we touched on this when we read in chapter 11, verse 41, when the Antichrist comes against them, that those who escape are Edom and Moab and the prominent people of Ammon. Now, I get to correct myself. I got it right during the first service, but I got it wrong during the second service. So let me get it right again during the first service. What I said was the land of Edom and Moab and Ammon in the first service is where Petra is, or what we call today Jordan. Did really good first service. Then the second service, I read the same verses, and I said Edom, Moab, and the people of Ammon, and we all know that's the land of Turkey. (laughs) Well, that's what I said. And uh those uh, uh one brother came up to me afterwards, he's got his Bible map out and he says, Dwight, I says, I heard you he said I believe you, but you know, it's not lining up with what my Bible says. It's, that's that's kinda where where Jordan is and not Turkey. And I said, well, I didn't say turkey and he, and he said, Yes you did, you turkey and <laughs> No, I didn't say that. But for the record, I stand corrected. And um what we have here is uh, they will escape. And this is where Petra is. And um, when we were reading in the psalm this morning, when the Lord comes forth with fire, it's talking about the battle of Armageddon, those who are against him. This talks about the tribulation and the remnant that are going to be purified. Um, Right now we have a free will. We can choose to let Jesus be our Lord and Savior, or we can choose not to. Not during the um, second half of the tribulation. It's either or. Either worship the beast and take his mark, or you're killed. Well, some will escape, but um, no more in between, no more neutral zone. You're either for or against. So that brings us to verse 2. It says, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And we're just going to stop here, and I am going to do a little rabbit trail here. Because here we have one verse that explains to us um, the resurrection. Some to everlasting life, and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And that's all that it tells us about the resurrection. But the resurrection, once we get to the new top topic, this isn't very broad here, it doesn't give us much information. So I'd like to take a little bit of time and give more information on just what the resurrection is. When does it occur? Are there more than one? In Hebrews chapter 6, I like to call these the ABCs, because Paul does. He calls them the elementary principles of Christ. So here are the ABCs. There are six things here. The ABCs of being a Christian, you guys should have down pat. You should know that these are the fundamental doctrines of being a born-again Christian. Paul says to the Hebrews, because they they should have been farther along than what they were. So he says, I want you to leave the ABCs, or the elementary principles of Christ, and I want you to go on to perfection. I don't want you to go back, laying again the foundation of repentance. Number one, what's the first thing you do when you get saved? You repent. Repent and be baptized, it says. So uh, the foundation of repentance, and then after you repent from dead works and you turn by faith, towards the Lord you actually turn from one and you turn towards the other now the next thing it says and the doctrine of baptism so this is the first thing that we're told to do as a sign that we've repented buried with Christ and old things pass away all things become new we outwardly show that by being baptized it's a doctrine it's one of the two things the Lord actually asks us to do. Be baptized. And it's actually one of the reasons, you know, I heard uh, people talking that uh, there's, there's uh, um, several, many, actually, that have just been walking with the Lord for so long as a born-again Christian that were never baptized that they really don't feel that they should be. Well, let me tell you, you should be. <laughs> well, let me tell you that the Lord tells you you should be. And um, it's one of the doctrines. The other one is communion. He said, do this and remember. He says, as often as you do it. So we happen to do it the first Sunday of every month. But he's asked us to do these two things. If you're born again, then you should be baptized. It's a doctrine. The baptism, the doctrine of baptism, the laying on of hands. We believe in two baptisms. One is a baptism in water. But Jesus says, or John the Baptist says, there's going to come another who's going to baptize you with fire and power and the Holy Spirit. And we gave examples of that um, in the book, book of Acts. And then it says, end of, eternal, uh, end of the resurrection of the dead. Now, this is foundational. And this is what we're reading in Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. But it only tells us that there's going to be For the righteous, everlasting life. For the wicked, contempt and everlasting shame. No more information. But here, it is part of the elementary principles or the ABCs of being a Christian. That we need to know that there's about this resurrection and of eternal judgment. Much of Christianity today has drifted and really don't believe that there's a hell or that God is going to judge. There are two judgments. One's called the judgment seat of Christ. Only the saved will be there. And one's called the great white throne judgment, Revelation 20, where only the unsaved are. And so we have more detail given. But I want to add a little bit, even more detail. Turn to John chapter 5 in the New Testament. Warn you now, I'm going to have you do a little um, page turning this morning on, as we get into this. John chapter 5. Picking it up in verse, oh, let's go back to verse 22. This is also good. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and has not uh, come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, this is a strong doctrine for Jesus making himself equal to the Father. And for those who have a problem with the Trinity, here's one of your verses that you want to hold on to. Because clearly, Jesus is identifying himself as being equal to the Father and being one with the Father. And then he said, Most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. So even more information needs to be added unto this to give a more clear understanding about what happens with the resurrection. So I'm going to have you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, where more detail is given to us. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we'll read the first five verses. Please notice a certainty in Paul's voice, for we know, in verse 1. This is something that's an absolute to Paul as he teaches on the resurrection. For we know... That if our earthly house, this tent, is destroyed, tent is this piece of skin that we live in right now, if it's destroyed, that we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, and it's eternal in the heaven. And then it goes on to say, for in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed with our habitation which is from heaven. I was putzing in the yard yesterday and leaning over and doing things. And I went in the house and I groaned because of my back. (laughs) If indeed having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but further clothed, that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared for us this very thing, What thing? Our body. is God, who also has given us his spirit as a guarantee. I promise that I'm going to give you this body. When? When the tent is destroyed. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that while we're at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith and not by sight. We are confident, yes, well-pleased rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Now we have more information about what happens, um, especially, I'll come back to um, uh, after the resurrection. Here, Paul clearly lays out for us that when you leave the tent, when you die, that you're already going to have a new body made for you. How quick does this happen? It's instantaneous. The last breath you take on this earth You are transformed, and to be absent from the body is to be present with who? The Lord. So what now? We have more information about the resurrection. And um, to take it a step farther, I want to give you two more. Go to Philippians chapter 1. Paul said he was groaning about this. In Philippians 1, verse 21 to 24, I hope this is true for all of you, this verse 21. What a great verse. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. For if I live in the flesh, this will mean fruit from, from my labor, yet what I choose I cannot tell. In other words, Paul says, I'm struggling. He said, um, I need to labor in the Lord. Uh, he said, for I'm hard-pressed between the two. I'm caught right in the middle. I have this great desire to depart and to be with Jesus, Which is far better. But then he says, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. So here he's clearly saying, again, that I want out of here so that I can be with my Lord. Now, one more verse. And believe me, this could turn into an in-depth study, but we have not the time to do it. So I'll just give you one more. Go to Matthew chapter 27, picking it up in verse 51. When Jesus died in verse 51, it says, Behold, the veil of the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. That means that the Lord did it. Uh, Nobody could go into that place where the Ark of the Covenant was, the Holy of Holies, except once a year, and only the high priest could do it. And if you went in there, you automatically would be killed. So now, when Jesus died on the cross, it's torn from the top all the way down to the bottom. And it's an illustration saying now you can come boldly into the presence of God. And then it it tells us the temple was torn from the top to the bottom. Then there was a great earthquake and the rocks were split. In verse 52, and the graves were opened. Well, that's a resurrection. And many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. We have a resurrection here. But it is clarified, and the clarification is very important to get. And coming out of the graves, notice what it says, underline it, after his resurrection. In other words, nobody could uh, be resurrected because Jesus is the first fruits. He is the first one to come out of the grave with a resurrected body. And so, but after it, it says on that same uh, day, which would have been three days later when he came out, we find that people um, came out of their graves after his resurrection. So we could get in a whole study of um, uh, Abraham's bosom, why Jesus went to paradise for three days, what was he doing down there. And... Um, um, Again, I have to leave it at that. There's other studies and many scriptures that tie in. My point is this: as you look at uh, Daniel chapter 12, verse 2, it just tells us that there's two resurrections. Well, there's a lot more detail that goes on there. And there's uh, we have the resurrection of um, Moses and Elijah, right? And and, uh, the Book of Revelation: they were dead for three and a half days. Then they come back to life, and what happens? They're resurrected. All right, let's go on to verse, let's go back to um, verse 3, where it tells us, and this is where we get the title of the message this morning. It says, Those who are wise will shine, like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars, forever and ever. And you never, the idea here is, um, that the influence of you letting your light shine can have eternal implications for people that you come into contact with. I think I mentioned this, but um, the pastor in uh, uh, Minoc, um North Dakota um, wants to go to Israel with us, and um, and I, he said, "I got saved." Uh, at a prophecy conference in two thousand and nine when David Hawking was uh, here speaking and and, and uh, he said i 'd never been to one before, and my whole life has changed and now he 's a Calvary Chapel pastor. You never know the influence that um, you have on a person 's life and when so it says that if you 're wise." That you're going to shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness. That that means being a witness. Witnessing to people. That there's going to be people for all eternity that you're going to run across. And you're going to, you know, know, it was you. It was that Sunday school teacher. It was this guy at work. That because he shared with me about Jesus Christ, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. And um, as we look at... Um, what Jesus teaches on this, he says, talk about shining, he says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill, it can't be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but they hold it up as a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Gang, the idea here is to be a soul winner. Um, we are Christians first. I need an amen. amen. A hearty amen. amen. We are Christians first and then fill in the blank, okay? And we have to have that as a mindset because that's more important. It's more important that we don't identify ourselves with our profession for any anywhere from being a carpenter to a housewife, fill in the blank, I don't care what it is. You are a Christian first. And your, your responsibility, Jesus said, is to be a light, and so let it shine. Um, Paul said, I want to be a fool for Christ. Well, somebody wrote an old love song, everybody's somebody's fool. So you might as well be a fool for the Lord. Will you be laughed at? Sure. Will you be ridiculed? Sure. Will you be despised? Of course. And we'll be... Will there be some who are so ready that they can't wait to get saved? I had a guy just a couple weeks ago couldn't wait for the service to get over. All he wanted—he came to church. I don't know if you heard a word I said. All he wanted to do was get in that back prayer room and give his life back to Jesus. Easiest fruit picking I've had in a long time. <laughs> he was ripe for the picking. But you know, you—you you get in this world and you hang in this world. This world will beat you up, and unless you have the solid rock of, of Jesus to stand on. It's difficult. Going to do something a little different this morning because we all have choices to make. Pastor Chuck had a choice to make. He had always wanted to be a brain surgeon. He was a Christian. And um, this is only a minute. And it comes from a venture of faith. Mike McIntosh and Raul Reese did something as a project. And what I'm about to show you is chuck wrestling with his decision to be in a brain surgeon or to go into ministry so we're going to play that right now it's only a minute long and i'll come back so go ahead and run it guys although chuck always knew jesus christ is his personal savior it wasn't until his 17th summer that preparing for medical school that he first realized the need to make a personal commitment to jesus christ as the lord of his life And at a summer camp, uh, God got hold of my heart and said, if you heal people physically, for the best is just for a time. There's a sickness that's killing everybody, and that's sin. And if you can bring healing from that, it's eternal. You want to devote your life for things that are temporal or things that are eternal. And it was there that I made my commitment to the Lord to go into the ministry. I came home and told my mom I thought you'd be devastated to learn I'm not going to be a doctor. But instead, she just smiled and said, Well, son, if that's what you feel the Lord would have you to do, you know, then you should do it. Then you should do it. We just finished vacation Bible school. Chuck got saved at a at, at, same sort of Christian camp. You never realize the impact that you have spending a week with the kids. And like Paul was saying, and, and I commend you, those who labored on this project for the kids, most people... When you look at the stats, come to Christ either in their teens and younger or early in life. The odds really go off the chart the older that you get. And so the idea here is um, the wisdom that we find in verse 3, you're going to shine like the firmaments forever and ever and ever, all because of the influence that you may have on a person's life. Verse 4 tells us, but you, Daniel, I want you to shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end, for many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall increase. People running to and fro. Holy smokes, is that one spot on. Do you know that until 1895, our only means of getting from one place to another, it was either walking or by horses or by donkey or by mules. Thousands of years. In 1895, we had the first commercial car production. I'm pronouncing this wrong because I'm not sure of the spelling. Dariah Motor Wagon. That was in 1945 when it was actually in commercial production. In October of this year, we're going to fly from Chicago to Tel Aviv. We'll be there in about 12 hours, Swiss Air, and we're going to move to and fro very, very quickly. Some of you here are businessmen, and you travel and fly on a daily basis. We didn't have commercial air flight until 1914, and that first flight was from St. Petersburg, Florida, to Tampa on Airboat Line. So for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, you walked, or you rode. But these, these days, we don't think anything at all of hopping on uh, a jet plane and, and being wherever we want to be in a matter of hours. Um, it says that knowledge will increase. That These are signs of the last days. Uh, Buckmeister Fuller created the knowledge doubling curve. He noticed that until 1900, human knowledge doubled approximately. Every century or every hundred years, all-known knowledge would double. By the end of World War II, knowledge was doubling every 25 years. Today, things are not as simple as uh, different types of knowledge have different rates of growth. For example, nanotechnology is doubling every two years and clinical knowledge every 18 months. But on average... Uh, human knowledge is doubling every 13 months. Uh, catch this. According to IBM, the, the built-out of the Internet of Things will lead to dou- doubling of knowledge every 12 hours. All the knowledge from that f- took thousands and thousands of years for some knowledge to have doubled. So it says here, knowledge will increase we were talking about um, a book that that just came out on dylan and it's about basically anybody who ever doubts that bob is not a born-again christian and walking with the lord uh, will be persuaded even his harshest critics have to admit Bob Dylan is a born-again Christian after he's, he read this book, but I couldn't remember the name of it. So you know how long it took us to find out the name? Oh, you just pull this little thing out of your pocket here, and you say da 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 and go, oh, yeah, Scott Marshall wrote that book. And um, Warren sent it to me because we're both Dylan fans and always believed. Uh, he, he, one girl said, you guys just don't get it, you guys who... who are." Uh, uh, anti-Dylan thinking he left the Lord. No, he, he hates religion, but he loves Jesus. And you just can't see the difference between the two. And that's what I've been saying all along. So, how's that for blowing in the wind? Just want to grab it and just pull it on. We better get on with our study. Because <laughs> young, some young people here may not know have a word of what I'm talking about. But it brings us to our text Knowledge increasing. Verse 5 through 7. Then I, Daniel, looked, and there, there stood two others, one on this river bank and the other on the other river bank. And one said to the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river, How long shall the permanent fulfillment of these things wonders, be? And I heard the man clothed in linen, who was above the waters of the river's, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it shall be for a time, times, and half a time. And it says, When the power of the holy people have been completely shattered, all these things will be finished. Now here is a direct connection between the book of Daniel and the book of Revelation. This terminology is only used in these two books. And the last half Remember Revelation 12, Satan is cast down, knowing he only has a little time. Well, then it tells us, and it's the same words, time, times, and half a time, three and a half years. What will he do? It says he goes after those that the Lord says, when you see the abomination of desolation, run to the wilderness. Don't go back to your house. Pray that it's not wintertime or the Sabbath. And um, again, We mentioned that place as being Selah or Basra or Petra. And that is in (laughs) Jordan. And so turn back to Daniel chapter 8, verse 23. The Antichrist and the devil himself is possessing here. This is a reference to, let's pick it up in verse 23. Chapter 8 In the latter time of their kingdoms, and the transgressions have reached their fullness, a king shall arise having fierce features who understands sinister schemes. His power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. So, this is the Antichrist, and he gets his power from Lucifer himself. He shall destroy fearfully, and he shall prosper and thrive. He will destroy the mighty and also the holy people. A third, only a remnant. Zechariah tells us the other two-thirds will be destroyed. Worse than a Holocaust. I can't tell you how hard it is for me to say what I just said, but it's clearly what the scriptures teach. Through his cunning he shall cause deceit to prosper under his hand. He shall magnify himself in his heart. He shall destroy many in their prosperity. And he shall even rise against the prince of princes, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, but he shall be broken without human hands. The Lord just speaks the word and he is eliminated and cast into the lake of fire. So these verses here, 5 through 7, is a reference to the remnant being broken. And uh, going through the fire, being completely shattered for the purpose that they call on the Lord. And as Jesus said, you won't see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Now when we get to Hosea, it gets into detail about this event and even the timing of it when we get into our study in the book of Hosea. But here, it's just, um, it explains for us that it is a tribulation. And um, they're going to be completely shattered except for the remnant, verses 8 through 10. Now Daniel says, although I heard, I did not understand. I said, my Lord, well, what will be the end of these things? And he said, go your way, Daniel, for the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end. Many shall be purified, made white, and refined, but the wicked shall do wickedly, none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. So um, we have these great principles of God um, prevail from Daniel's day to the time of the end. And as we finish up the book of Daniel, we're basically connecting these two huge dots. It's going to be many days into the future. And of course, Daniel Wanted to know. And he says, no, Daniel. Nobody's going to understand. It's going to be shut up and sealed until the time of the end. But um, what is sealed here is revealed in the book of Revelation. The word revelation means to unveil. And talk about seals, what's the first thing that the Lord does? He starts opening the seven seals. And it all comes into picture into view but none of the wicked will understand well what does that mean do you know how many people teach through the book of Daniel and Revelation chapter by chapter and verse by verse very very few and you know the main reason they don't is the pastors themselves aren't equipped to teach through it so it's hard for them to bring it to uh, the flock and teach it but um, those who are wise. Well, what's wisdom? Well, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Somebody want to give me an amen to that? And um, my Bible says that he holds this book higher than he holds his own holy name. Heaven and earth will pass away, not this book. So if the Lord says it's going to be a secret, nobody's going to understand it until the time of the end. But those who are wise in the last days, they will see all the pieces um, coming and, and fitting together. And um, we'll come back to that, this verse here. Okay, verse 11. And from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away, they, there will be a tribulation temple. Animal sacrifice will be instituted. When the Antichrist uh, will have nobody worshipped except himself, Um, he will take away the daily offerings. And in its place, he will put up an image, Revelation 13, of himself. And it says, and there shall be 1,290 days. This verse tells us when the second coming of Jesus Christ is. Yeah, you heard me correctly. Daniel chapter 9 tells us the very day that Jesus Christ allowed himself to be worshipped. April 6, 32 AD. Daniel chapter 12, verse 11, tells us the very day that Jesus is going to return. But notice here it says 1,290 when we're used to hearing what? 1,260. And so we have... A question mark here. And you know the answer why there's 30 extra days? The answer is, I don't know. <laughs> I read commentaries on why the extra 30 days. I didn't like anybody's answer. So my answer to you this morning is, I don't know. And it's going to be interesting to find out. But I did do the math on it. And... Um, I want, you to, I want you to bear with me just a minute so that I can show you that if you start counting down from the time that the daily sacrifice is taken away to start the countdown, 1,290 days, you will have the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ to planet Earth. Dwight, how can you be so sure? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question this morning. So let's turn and turn to Revelation chapter 16. Let's just connect some dots here revelation 16 what we have and we've been here a couple times at the end of chapter 16 we have the last judgment the seventh bowl judgment the sixth bowl judgment is the battle of armageddon but remember i kept making the point that all this is to daniel and his people israel but in verse 15 we have red letters if you have a red-letter Bible, and we haven't had red letters since the church, age chapters 2 and 3. So why is it there? I think the Lord is saying that this is all really going to happen, church. So he's saying, behold, I am, I'm I'm going to come just like I said, as a thief. That's the rapture. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And then he bounces right back into the battle of Armageddon, where he defeats... Um, the devil, the Antichrist, and the false prophet, those two are thrown into the lake of fire, and Satan is bound for a thousand years. And then when you get to the great earthquake and the hailstones, end of of tribulation. And then last week, um, on Wednesday night, we went through 17 and 18. And the point that I made is that this is just information that took place. This is not in a chronological order. This is just detail that happened during the last three and a half years. So we have to go to chapter 19 to see what is the very next event after the battle of Armageddon. And it happens to be the second coming of Jesus Christ. In verse 11, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, And he who sat on him was called faithful and true in righteousness. He judges and makes war. And so we have the second coming right after the battle of Armageddon. Let's connect one more dot. And for that one, we need to go to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew 24, picking it up in verse 27. For as the lightning comes from the east and flashes to the west, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For wherever the carcass is, there the eagles will be gathered together. The first word in verse 29, it says, Immediately. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from heaven and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. So immediately, then... The sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, so it is right at that very time where you can actually tell people, "Yeah, I know the the very day, well we won't because we're we're not going to be here, but there will be those alive who took the mark of the beast and those who didn't, where they can actually count down from when the sacrifice ended until the Lord comes. now verse twelve. Let's go back to Daniel. It says, blessed is he who waits and comes to the 1,335th day. Okay, so now the question rises is, if the Lord returns after 1,290, well, what's the the big deal with a certain group of people being blessed if they make it to the 1,335th day? Well, that's a period of time of some 45 days. The question is, why, if you make it that long, are you considered blessed? And the answer to that is found in Matthew chapter 25. So back to Matthew 25. Why are they blessed? In Matthew 25, verse 30, I want you to just think this through with me. The earth is totally destroyed. Isaiah says there will be few men in those days. But having said that, people are still alive. There will be people alive who have the mark of the beast, and there will be people alive who are born again and got saved. And so we have people still alive. But now we're getting ready to enter into the 1,000-year kingdom age. So what Jesus, this is all on the Olivet Discourse, and um, the question that brings about Jesus' answers here is, Lord, when are you coming? What's it going to be like? What we have in verse 31, I believe is a 45-day period of time. We got There has to be judgment to determine who gets to enter into the great tribulation. So we find when the Son of Man comes in his glory with all his holy angels with him, then he will sit on a throne of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered before him. He will separate them one from the other as the shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on my right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, enter the kingdom prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Most of the Old Testament is about the kingdom to come. We pray for it. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Well, it's about to happen. But we have people who took the mark of the beast, remember? And what did the angel that was flying in the midst of heaven say in Revelation 14? Woe unto those. Don't take the mark of the beast. Because if you do, you will be tormented day and night forever and ever and ever. So they can't enter into the kingdom, but these do. The 45-day period of time, and the reason you're blessed if you make it that long is that you're entering into what God has always promised Israel, the kingdom and their Messiah. And then he says, For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was a thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous, by the way, how do we get our righteousness? Only by receiving the Lord. We'll answer him and say, "Lord, when, would, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did you see a stranger and take him in and naked and you clothed him? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you?" And the king will answer and say to them, Surely I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. These are the blessed ones who make it through to 135 days, and they go from, they're still alive. They enter into the kingdom age, born again, saved believers. And yet now there's those who are not. So now the Lord addresses those in verse 41. Then he will say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you curse, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you did not give me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not take me in, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him, saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? And he answered him, saying, As much as I say unto you, as you did it not to the least of these, you did it not to me. And he's talking about his brethren. These will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into everlasting life. Here in Daniel 12, we have one verse in verse two that says there's gonna be a resurrection. It's gonna be a resurrection of the, of the just who will enter the kingdom and have everlasting life and there'll be the judgment of the wicked. Let's close this up this morning by turning back to one verse, Daniel 12. And we find in verse 10, he shall be purified and made white and refined, but the wicked will do wickedly. And things are getting worse and worse. We see that happening every day. And none of the wicked will understand. They won't see what's going on in our world and where it's headed. But the wise will understand. And I was thinking about this and sharing with people. And um, I woke up Saturday morning before men's prayer. And I was trying to think of this verse that dealt with we want to be lights. So, Lord, how do I close Sunday morning out? And it was a scripture, and I just could not pull it up for the life of me. And um, I asked Judy to to go on Blue Letter Bible, and she's looking for it, and she can't find it. And um, I, I wanted to come a little bit early to men's prayer so I could spend some time trying to find my verse. And the verse basically has the idea with it Lord, the only people who understand what we're talking about this morning are born-again believers. And you understand the principles because you're born again. And I says, there's a scripture and I can't find it anywhere. So I go to men's prayer. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I was at men's prayer yesterday. And we just finished the book of Romans, so that means we're in Corinthians. And we're sitting there reading the first three chapters, which is all about wisdom. Word after word. If you read these chapters, I asked the guys, we got down to verse 6, and I almost broke out laughing, because there's my verse. (laughs) It was the one I've been trying to hunt down and look and couldn't find. That's that one in verse 14. It's Paul speaking about wisdom. And he says, We speak wisdom among those who are mature. Another way of saying, I can have a conversation with you about spiritual things, and you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Why? Because you're born of the Spirit, and you understand. Some of you are talking and praying the best you can, and they're just not getting it. And so to the wise, we speak who are mature, Yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, uh, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. Go down to verse 14. Why is it that some will not understand? The answer is simple. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, For they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually undiscerning. In other words, it's about knowing him personally. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice, and they come to me. That's a born-again Christian. And uh, you're identifying and relating to what I'm talking about this morning. And in Christendom today, in Matthew 25, we have Jesus telling a parable. This is part of the Olivet Discord. Ten virgins. Huh. Five were wise and five were foolish. But they all thought they were Christians. And uh, he says this is what the kingdom of heaven is going to be like. It should be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. In other words, they were watching. Isn't that what Jesus told us to do in in Revelation 16? Make sure you're watching. Make sure you got your garment on. Now of the five, five, five were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Now, Concerning the rapture of the church, um, there were those, but, but while the bridegroom was delayed, there's a scripture that says the Lord delays his, his coming. Well, Paul was looking for it in his day. And as soon as some person makes that statement, the Lord is delaying his coming, they've just marked themselves by saying that the rapture is not an imminent event. That means it could happen at any time. Paul was looking for it in his stay. So I asked my friends that hold to another view other than a pre-trib rapture, do you believe the Lord could come today? And they have to say no because uh, they're looking for the Antichrist to come instead. So that means they're actually saying The Lord is delaying his coming because he can't come until after the Antichrist is here. Are you following my train of thought? And plus, every picture in the Old Testament says the same thing. So, while the bridegroom was delayed, some were watching, some weren't. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming out to meet him. We, We were, Judy and I were listening to a mirror. Yesterday, and um, he's on the cutting edge of what's, what's going on. He's talking a lot about the Temple Mount and that uh, Iran now has a base in Syria. Now, the implications for that is off the charts. We have Russian boots on the ground. He was the first one that said for certainty that the hook has already been put in Russia's jaw, and they're already there. Now, I believe that, But I would never say that categorically, but Amir did. By the way, he'll be Skyped in from Jerusalem for our prophecy conference. And um, he actually came out and said it. And I said, honey, there it is. He said it, the jaw is hooked, it's there. Why are they there? Well, they have their own reasons. And it's different from Iran's reasons. And so we find at midnight a cry was heard, the bridegroom is coming, And then those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps, and they were ready. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there won't be enough for us. But you go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. So they did. They went out to buy. And the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. And that, I can just hear the door slamming, and I can't help but think of Noah. Who closed the door? There was only one on Noah's ark. The Lord closed the door. And then what happened? Well, all the people that Noah had been ministering to for his whole life all of a sudden began showing up, I bet, and knocking, trying to get in, because now it was raining. You heard me? Raining. It had never rained before. And Noah is saying, judgment's going to come by rain. Well, what's that? Well, judgment is going to come and the Lord's going to take his people out before the rapture. So this verse smacks of Noah. When did Jesus say the rapture would come? Well, it's going to be like it was in the days of Noah. He makes a direct connection. Afterwards, the other virgins came saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he said, Assuredly, I say to you, I don't know you. So what do we do with all this as we wrap up um, the book of Daniel? And we see the connection. And we see the stage set for the Lord coming. I mean, to me, it's so obvious what's going on right now. It's like shouting, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. And wake up, church. Don't fall asleep. Trim those lamps. And so the last verse is, watch therefore, for you neither know the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. And I'll conclude by saying as we finish Daniel, I can tell you to the first day he came, and I can tell you when he's coming again the second time. But I can't tell you when he's coming here at the rapture. All we're told is be ready. Amen? Stand up. We just finished the book of Daniel. Lord, thank you. As we, we're just grateful, Lord, that, um, that we understand what we just read. Um, and yet, there's so many that just do not have a clue because your word is not being taught. So we thank you, Lord, as much as Daniel wanted to know, he could not understand Only the generation that sees the regathering of the nation of Israel, that's the generation Jesus said would see all things fulfilled. And this year they're celebrating their 70th. So we see the signs, Lord, and we pray this morning for any that um, are not born again. Lord, that they would be convinced through the authority of Scripture that um, you will judge the living and the dead. And there will be people who go to heaven, and there will be people who go to hell. So help us be wise, and let our light so shine before men. And um, we want to be, Lord, a living witness. And please let our title be Christian first, and then whatever profession second. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.